Most of the world, uh, they, they observe one of six religions. But there is coming a day when the world is going to be under one single banner. And it's going to be because of this place called Mystery Babylon. There's going to be a one world religion. Welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy. Dr. Brogy is the senior pastor at Community Bible Church in Beaufort, South Carolina. We're in chapter 17 of our study of the Revelation. And in a message entitled, Religious Babylon, we spent time the last two days looking at the Old Testament account of Babylon found in Genesis chapters 9 and 10. This foundation is critical as we work our way through the next two chapters of the Revelation. So if you missed it, you may want to listen to it using the Search the Scriptures app or online at searchthescriptures.org. As we pick up today, Dr. Brogy begins by giving an overview of what we'll be studying for the next several days. Now let me uh, kind of give you an overview of the 17th chapter. In the first six verses, John begins by describing the harlot and the beast. Uh, then beginning in the end of verse 6 through the 14th verse, uh, he interprets for us the significance of the symbolism that he uses. And then in verses 15 through 18, he describes the judgment of this great harlot. So let's begin by thinking about the harlot and the beast, specifically religious Babylon. If you're taking notes, you're wondering when I'm going to get to it. I'm actually almost done. We're going to begin with the scope of Babylon, the scope of religious Babylon. I want you to think about the scope of this coming world religion. We're told in verse 1, then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and spoke with me saying, come here and I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters. Now again, remember the chapter and verse divisions are artificial. They are there to help us to find our way around in the Bible. If you remember at the end of 16 in verses 17 through 21, we saw the final seven bowls of judgment that come upon the earth. And in that final bowl, there's this great earthquake that demolishes the cities of the world. And then if you remember, he highlights out of all the cities of the world, one particular city. Look at Revelation 16 and verse 19. Babylon the great was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of his fierce wrath. Babylon the Great, that's the subject of these two chapters. So one of the angels, one of the seven angels who had this, one of the seven bulls, he came up and he says, come here, John, I want to show you the judgment of this great city called Babylon. Now, it would be conjecture for me to say which of these seven angels John is referencing. But if I were to make an educated guess, it's probably the last one who announces the judgment on Babylon. But what I want you to see is we work through these two chapters is that Babylon, while it represents a religious entity, or it represents a political entity, by the end of chapter 16, it is clear it represents a real place a real place that experiences a real earthquake. And God allowing Scripture to interpret Scripture, He's going to identify for us where is this real place known as Babylon the Great. Now look at uh, back, if you will, at chapter 14 and verse 8. There's not a slide for this, I don't think. 
And back in 14 and verse 8, God had uh, used a description that is very similar to what we're reading here this morning. And another angel, a second one, followed saying, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, same place. She who has made the nations drink of the wine of the passion of her immorality. And so here, again, we see the same expression of truth. God describes this religious institution as committing a form of spiritual immorality. Now, the word is porneia. We get our word pornography from it. And the word porneia and the word adultery can be used in different ways. Sometimes the word adultery can be used in a broad sense to refer to any kind of illicit sexual expression outside of marriage. It can refer to premarital sex, extramarital sex, homosexual sex, any kind of wickedness. Very often in Scripture, it is used to describe a violation of the relationship that God made between a husband and a wife. Poinea, often translated fornication, is very often used to describe sex before marriage. And so they said to Jesus, we weren't born of porneia. We weren't born of fornication. That's why you're here. You're here because of an illicit relationship Mary had. That's why you're very defined usage of the term. Well, interestingly, think your way through this. When God describes his people, Israel, he often uses the word adultery because why? God is married to Israel. God calls Israel his bride. And in the New Testament, God calls the church his bride. And so God typically uses the word adultery to describe a believer, either a Jew or a Christian who is unfaithful to the Lord God. But these are not God's people. These are people who are following after the false leader. And so he uses a word that would describe porneia. And again, you see this all the way through Scripture. For instance, in Jeremiah 3, God addresses drifting Israel through his prophet. And he writes, And I saw that for all the adulteries of faithless Israel, I had sent her away and given her a writ of divorce, yet her treacherous sister Judah did not fear but she went and was a harlot also. Jeremiah is saying, you should have learned from the northern kingdom, Israel. I, I, I put her away. I let the Assyrians capture her. Why? Because she was spiritually an adulterer. But even the southern kingdom, Judah, didn't listen. Hosea the prophet writes, my people consult their wooden idol, and their diviners wand informs them. For a spirit of harlotry has led them astray, and they have played the harlot, departing from their God. The psalmist said this in Psalm 108, thus they became unclean in their practices and they played the harlot. God is using physical, sexual terms to, to describe spiritual harlotry. And so in the New Testament, James says of the church, you adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Listen, when this world steals away the affection that you should give to Jesus Christ, you are committing spiritual adultery and God hates it. Now, right now, there are thousands of religions across this planet, but most of them fall under the realm of Christianity, Judaism, Buddhism, Taoism, Hinduism. Most of the world, uh, they, they observe one of six religions. But there is coming a day 
when the world is going to be under one single banner. And it's going to be because of this place called Mystery Babylon. There's going to be a one-world religion. Now, I want to tell you, we'll begin to examine it next time. But there are things that are taking place right now in the world that are sowing the seeds for this one-world religion. Some things that have even happened this month that we're going to look at that is feeding the plan for a one-world religion. Now, Christianity in its truest sense is not a religion. It's called the faith. There's only one religion, and it's God's religion, and that religion is found in the Bible. Now, there's a lot that goes under the banner of Christianity that has nothing to do with the faith. But God's faith, delivered by the apostles, we find it here in the Bible, is the true religion. Look at verse 1 again. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and spoke with me, saying, come here, and I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters. Now, notice this harlot, who is defined in the verses that follow as Babylon, is described as sitting on many waters. That expresses the scope of this religious entity. Now, if you remember, we've already seen it in the Revelation, the term sea and the word water in the Revelation can refer to a literal sea or a literal body of water, or it can refer to a large entity of people. Even in English today, we speak of the sea of humanity. We're speaking of this huge entity of people. You say, well, I wonder what it means here. You don't have to wonder. Put out in the margin next to verse 1, Revelation 17, 15. God defines what He means. He says, and he said to me, the waters which you saw where the harlot sits are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. The whole world is going to be captured by this religion. Now, let's finally think about the seduction of religious Babylon. Beyond the scope of religious Babylon, let's think about its seductive power, the seduction of religious Babylon. Now we read in verse 2 with whom the kings of the earth committed acts of immorality. And those who dwell on the earth were made drunk with the wine of her immorality. It's not by accident that God mentions here the kings of the earth. Kings, presidents, prime ministers, they're all going to be deluded. They're going to be drunk with the deception of this harlot, spiritual Babylon, and they're going to embrace her, and they're going to get the peoples of the nations to follow their example. She's like a slick seductress. You say, how could this happen so fast? How could she seduce so many people so quickly? Think about it. All the true Christians are suddenly gone. Millions across the planet. All the born-again Christians are missing. We're the salt of the earth. We preserve righteousness. We're the light of the world. We dispel darkness. Now we're all gone. And there's a field day for evil to come in. Add to that, this Antichrist comes on the scene. The Scripture says he has lying wonders and miracles. And he has a false prophet who acts like the Holy Spirit, and he points people to the Antichrist, and he too does the supernatural, and together they are able to capture the people who are drunk with this wicked, evil religion. Those who dwell on the earth were made drunk with the wine of her immorality. It's pretty sobering. Now think about it. Suppose it happened today. It could happen today. You say it won't happen today. It could. It could happen today. 
will happen at a time when you least expect it, Jesus said. What would happen if Christ came to catch up his bride today? Well, Mormonism would go on like it always has. Liberal Protestantism would just keep going. You know, the, the people who are always challenging them and says, well, we can't, we, we can't do that. that. That's against the Bible. You know, the United Methodists this week, they're going to vote over whether or not they're going to officially, they're already doing it in practice, but they're going to vote officially whether or not they're going to sanction gay pastors and perform gay marriages in their churches. You know, and the, and the born-agains in that denomination say, no, that's not right. We can't do that. God's Word is clear. Don't do that. They'll keep going on. All the liberal Protestants will go on. Judaism and its unbelief will go on until the 144,000 are raised up and they sway the minds of all Israel. Well, they'll believe Jesus is Lord. Confucianism, Buddhism, Roman Catholicism will go on with the exception of those born-again Roman Catholics, but most are not. Why? Because at the Council of Trent reaffirmed Vatican I, Vatican II, they denied salvation by grace alone through faith alone. You cannot deny that you're saved by grace through faith and be counted as a true Christian. They'll continue with their masses. And all of these religions are going to come together. Now, the Antichrist is going to allow this bridge to be built because he's going to bring, be able to bring together both religiously and politically the nations of the world. But then, as we will see in these two chapters... The Antichrist will not be satisfied with everyone and all these different religions worshiping together. He is going to narrow the focus and he says, you worship me or you worship no one. Now, how can we apply this today? Let me suggest three applications as we close our time. Number one, I learn and I'm reminded from this chapter that the growing religious unification in our day should drive us to Scripture. The religious unification in our day should drive us to the Bible. The Bible is your protection. And if you are the head of your home, if you are the dad in the family, then you are to be in the Word of God. You are to know what the Scriptures say. Negatively, you are to protect your children from the evil that is everywhere because there are so many Christians in our day who are compromised in their viewing habits and their listening habits and the kinds of things they let into their heart. And so a father and a mother is to protect those children from those evils in spite of what all their friends may be doing. But beyond that, they are to bring them up in the discipline and nurture of the Lord by teaching them the Scripture. And you cannot do that as a dad unless this word is first in your heart. And if this word is first in your heart, then you can teach your children as you walk in the way, as you rise up. But you must drive yourself to Scripture. In 1 Timothy 4 and verse 1, God said, but the Spirit explicitly says that in latter times, some will fall away from the faith. Question, when did the Holy Spirit make this prophecy? Well, possibly he's referencing to what he spoke because Christ was anointed by the Spirit in everything he did. He lived in dependence upon the Holy Spirit in everything that he said. Maybe this is a reference to what he said on the Olivet Discourse, where in Matthew 24, Jesus said, for false Christ and false prophets will arise in this and will show great signs and wonders so as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. Behold, I've told you in advance. 
Or maybe he is uh, referencing what he spoke through the Apostle Paul that was so inspired it made its way into the printed page of Scripture when Paul gathers the Ephesian elders and he says, I know after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves, men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Or maybe he's just writing it fresh right here, that in the latter times, some will fall away from, notice, not from faith, but the faith. It's articular. The faith in the Bible is that term that's used to describe this body of truth we call the Bible. In the latter times, now remember, there are two critical terms, last days, latter days. Last days and latter times. Now, most of the time, the last days can refer, especially in the New Testament, to any time since the day of Pentecost. We began the last days because prophetically Jesus could come at any moment. Nothing has ever needed to be done for Jesus to come back from heaven for His church. Sometimes in the Old Testament, last days refers to the very end of time. But in both Old and New Testaments, in every instance, latter times, latter days, refer to those final days just before Jesus comes back from heaven, the second coming. And he warns that in the latter days, men will depart from the faith, this body of truth. And what is it going to bring about? What's called the apostasy. Jesus said this in Matthew 24, and at that time, many will fall away. That's the verbal form of the noun apostasia. We get our word apostasy from it. It means to fall away. Many at that time will fall away and deliver up one another and hate one another, and many false prophets will arise and mislead many. Likewise, the Apostle Paul describes that time frame called the day of the Lord that begins after the church is raptured. And he said this, let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come, the day of the Lord that he just mentioned in verse 2, it will not come unless the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness, the son of destruction, is revealed. Those are titles given for the Antichrist. Some of the church in the city of Thessalonica thought maybe they had missed the rapture and they were in the day of the Lord. Paul says, you can't possibly be in the day of the Lord. If you were in the day of the Lord, you'd see the man of lawlessness, the son of destruction, and you would witness visibly not just apostasy, but the apostasy. We have apostasy in our day. We've had apostasy for 2,000 years, but I want to tell you, I am a lover of church history, and there is apostasy that is taking place today like it has never had since the inception of the church, and the seeds are being sown now for a one-world apostasy, and men in a wholesale way are going to depart from the Christian faith. They're going to laugh. They're going to mock this book. We call the Holy Bible as they are already doing. Now, there's a second lesson I learned. You need to be in the Word of God to protect your own heart, to know who's on first. But secondly, be aware of the promotion of unity at the expense of sound doctrine. Be aware of the promotion of unity at the expense of sound doctrine. Tragically, the evangelical community in our day continues to move away from sound doctrine. Why do you suppose so many people embrace, embrace the Kenneth Copelands and the Joel Olsteins, who both preach another Jesus, not the Jesus of the Bible, another Jesus? 
because they are so ignorant on sound. It's a word healthy. It's a medical term. They're so ignorant of healthy doctrine. The Scripture is to be paramount in the worship service. God's Word, not entertainment. God's Word is to be taught. And if you do not have an ear and a heart for the Word of God, there is something radically wrong with your spiritual life. If you can watch a football game for three hours and you can't be in a worship service where the preacher preaches for an hour, there's something wrong with your heart. You either don't have an appetite for the Word of God because you've never been born again, or you've broken fellowship with the living God. And so a pastor, an elder, Paul says in Titus 1, is to be one who is holding fast the faithful Word, which is in accordance with the teaching, so that he will be able to exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. Now, unity and brotherhood may sound wonderful. Oh, let's bring everybody together. Not so. You only unify around truth. You do not unify among those who are less than faithful to the Word of God. Otherwise, you are endorsing their error. And so Jude says that we are to contend earnestly for the faith delivered unto the saints once and for all. No spiritual unity between those who reject the gospel and those who embrace it. Finally, if we know Christ, we do not have to fear the coming apostasy, but we can rest assured in God's protection. Do you know Christ not just as a historical person? A lot of people know Christ the way I know the president. I know the President of the United States. You do? Yes. I know his name. I've read books about him, one book about him. I don't know him personally. And a lot of people, some within the sound of my voice, they know Jesus the way I know the President. They just know facts about Jesus. It may be accurate facts, but they've never been born from above where they've come into a personal relationship with the Lord. Well, listen, if you know Christ as your Savior, you don't have to fear the turmoil that is coming, this apostasy. You can rest assured in God's protection. Many years ago, after my wife and I brought home from the hospital our second-born son, Jordan, we turned on the nightly news, and it was just like one tragedy after another. It was kind of depressing. And here, we, we brought this precious little young man into the world. And now I see parents bringing these precious little children into the world. And you ought to bring them in, because God tells you to. But God is bigger than our circumstances. It was just kind of depressing. And her grandmother, Maud Hill, had come to be with us, and, and she said to us, remember, Jesus said these things must take place. What was her message to us? God is sovereign. He is on his throne. These things must take place. God is over your life if you know him as Lord. Jesus can say that you are more important than a single sparrow. So more important that he says that a single sparrow is not forgotten before God. Indeed, he says the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do you remember in Psalm 2 where we have a picture of a sovereign God at the end of times? You ought to meditate on that psalm. And there are four voices in the psalm. First is the voice of the nations. You hear the unbelieving nations of the world speak. 
And there we're told, why are the nations in an uproar? And the people devise vain things. The kings of the earth, they take their stand and the rulers take counsel against the Lord and against his anointed one. What do they say? Let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their cords from us. That's what they're saying now. Oh, you want to have a baby? You want to put a knife through your baby on his birthday? It's legitimate. As long as you and your doctor agree. If you want to kill your baby the day before your baby's gone, it's okay. You want to have a gay, wicked, perverted lifestyle? It's okay, and if you're against it, there's something wrong with you. That's what they're saying. Let us tear their fetters apart. Let's not live within the restraints of this Judeo-Christian ethic. Listen now to the voice of God the Father. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then he will speak to them in his anger and terrify them in his fury. But as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. Now listen to the voice of God the Son. I will surely tell the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will surely give you the nations as your inheritance. And the very ends of the earth is your possession. Now listen to the voice of God the Spirit. Now therefore, O king, show discernment. Take warning, O judges of the earth, judges of the earth. Worship the Lord with reverence and rejoice with trembling. God is reminding his people here that the kings of the earth, and by extension, the peoples of the earth, they may be in rebellion against him, but their wisest decision would be to honor him, to revere him, to worship the one true God. And if you are a Christian, you've met the living God, you don't have to worry about the coming apostasy because God has sealed you with the spirit for the day of redemption and he has secured you for heaven. And the Bible teaches you will never renounce Christ and you will never, ever, ever fall away from him. But I want to tell you, my friend, if you don't know Christ, and the rapture will to happen today, it will be forever too late for you. You will be left behind and you will go through this great tribulation as long as you survive it and you will leave this world into an eternal judgment of fire and wrath that will never, ever, ever, ever end. Now, that's not God's heart for anyone. And if you go there and end up there for an eternity and remember this sermon there, you will have no one to blame but yourself because you spurned the living God and you rejected his son. Now, Holy Father, we thank you today for your word. It is truth. You said, Lord Jesus, sanctify them in the truth. Thy word is truth. And I pray today, Father, for someone here in our midst who's uncertain of their eternal destiny. Thank you that if one would be willing to repent of their sin, change their mind, call their sin what you call it evil, and let go of it and to embrace Jesus, that you would save them today. Thank you that whosoever will may come. Thank you that whoever will call upon the name of Jesus will be saved, in whose name we pray. Amen. To listen again to today's message, Religious Babylon, which included a look back at the Old Testament account of Babylon, 
Use the Search the Scriptures app for smartphones and tablets, or visit us online at searchthescriptures.org. You can also order a CD or DVD by calling 877-787-7478 and asking for program REV47. Tomorrow, Dr. Brogy's wife, Audrey, is in this time slot with her program for women, Mothering from the Heart. And when we return Monday, we'll continue our study of Revelation 17 in a message entitled, The False Religion of Babylon. Join us then as we search the scriptures.